Hawk Python to Me, episode number one, with guest Nicola Hiroshi, recorded Tuesday, March 31st, 2015. I'm a developer in many senses of the word, because I make these applications, but I also use these verbs to make this music. I construct it line by line, just like when I'm coding another software design. In both cases, it's about design patterns. Anyone can get the job done. It's the execution that matters. I have many interests. Sometimes conflict. Hello, and welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. The language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpythontome.com. This episode, we'll be talking to Nicola Hiroshi about Eve. Before we get to the interview with Nicola, a quick announcement. Since recording this episode, Nicola and I teamed up to create a dedicated course about Eve. This demo-driven journey is just the course you need to effortlessly build RESTful services based on Flask and MongoDB. We dive deep into every aspect of the Eve REST framework. After a quick introduction to MongoDB and Flask, we'll dig into Eve, build our schemas and endpoints, and start serving HTTP clients right away. And that's just the beginning. And who better to learn Eve from than Nicola, the creator and maintainer himself? To learn more and get started, just visit talkpython.fm eve or click the link in the show notes. Let me introduce Nicola. Nicola is a passionate Python and C-sharp open source hacker based in Ravenna, Italy. Back in 1991, he co-founded CIR 2000, a small company focusing on delivering accounting software solutions for the small businesses. He's the creator and maintainer of a few open source projects, including Eve, and a conference speaker who happens to be on sabbatical. When he's not hacking on code or spending time with his three kids, he's usually busy running, swimming, hiking, or reading a good old paper book. Nicola, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great. Thanks for helping me kick off this podcast. So you and I have known each other for a few years, and it's, it's really nice to get a chance to speak with you again. I think it's been about a year since we last met on an aircraft carrier in New York City, right? All right, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. So yeah, let's, indeed. Yeah, so let's let's sort of start at the beginning. You, like myself, do Python and C sharp. So how did you get into Python? Yes, as you say, I actually always been a C sharp guy. Mostly, uh, our flagship product is uh, a Windows desktop application. So uh, you usually deploy it on uh, you know your uh, user client server setup and stuff like that. And uh, as long as we were working in that context, uh, and we never really uh, felt the need to look anywhere else. C-Sharp in general was, uh, and the Microsoft stack in general was uh, just doing fine for us. Then, like anyone else, we a few years ago, we started looking at uh, moving to the web and uh, mobile and stuff like that. And I believe that's when I thought it was... Uh, the perfect time, the perfect opportunity to move out of my, uh, let's say, comfort zone. <clears throat> comfort zone. Mind you, back then the micro stack was still a, a good bet for all uh, things related to the web, but um, there was so much else out there, you know. So um, uh, I started looking at the JavaScript first, and then Python and other languages. Uh, um, in um, there were so many options, I mean, and uh, I really 
wanted to, maybe I was also a little bored about what I was doing by then, so that was a perfect opportunity for me to uh, start doing something else and looking around. And, um, and Python came, um, I don't really remember how, I be, maybe I was just reading some tutorial online and I was immediately hooked by the language itself and the community and the open source scene in general. Um, uh, it was allowing me for incredible performance boost, for example. Um, I remember one of the first time I was playing around with Flask and um, something just did not work as I expected and I was stuck there. I couldn't make any progress. Um, now, I don't really remember was it, what it was really, but something very stupid, most likely, you know, when you're <laughs> yeah, learning. That's how it is when you're learning, right? Yeah, I was just learning a new language, so it was surely had to be something very stupid. And um, I had this moment when I realized that I could just go a step further and look at the source code. That, you know, from someone coming from the .NET work and the closed source in general, that not, uh, that's not a given. I mean, it was uh, really awesome to be able to go on the website, on GitHub, and check out on the source code for Flask and, um, and understand what actually was doing behind the scenes. And that's when really open source and the general Python and open source in general really um, I saw what the potential was about it. Uh, but then uh, we were, in, in our world, we were, I would say, uh, behind an arrow carta in something like that. <laughs> Developer tools, for example, they had to buy licenses for them. And most of the time, even if you bought a license, you still did not get any access to the source code. And so it was really a, an epiphany for me. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's really awesome. Yeah, I think a lot of developers spend a, spend their time in worlds where much of what you do is a black box and you, you just can't know. And I think, you know, in the Python world, we're kind of spoiled in that you can just keep looking farther down inside, you know, and that, that's really great. So how did you get in? So you got into Python and it sounded like you were getting started in Flask. And then I guess Eve is kind of a, a natural extension. What What is Eve, actually? So Eve is an open source uh, Python REST API framework designed for human beings, which means that it is supposed to be easy to use and powerful. And uh, its goal is to allow any developer to effortlessly build and deploy a highly customizable and fully featured web services. Or at least that's the idea. <laughs> it is powered by Flask. And uh, offers, it, it offers support for uh, MongoDB out of the box. And there's also a SQL Alchemy um, extension provided by the community. So you can use Eve uh, both with MongoDB and uh, Postgres or uh, MySQL or whatever. So, yeah, that's fantastic. So I kind of looked at it. I don't know all that much about Eve. I've, I've just played with it a little. I saw some tutorials and checked them out. And it, and it looks really interesting. I also picked up that it was inspired by the requests package. So that's cool. Basically, the way it works, let me try to paraphrase how, how your, your library works, is I, I have some sort of data source. And I, it's by default MongoDB, which is an awesome data source, by the way, or also SQL Alchemy, so against a lot of the relational databases. 
and I can easily put a, like a RESTful API over my data? Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. That's the idea, basically. You have your data source somewhere, and you bind it to Eve, uh, to any e instance. You configure it by just uh, um, setting up a configuration file where you uh, basically um, give your API topology, your endpoints, uh, how they, they work, uh, to which uh, collection on MongoDB or table on SQL uh, each endpoint maps to, and then you are good to go. Uh, then the idea basically is that you have a lot of features out of the box, so you don't have to code much to, in order to get started with your API. And then you can, of course, uh, uh, go in and uh, add the callback functions, so for example. So when uh, some request gets get, uh, in, uh, in, you can add your own code that makes uh, whatever you need to do. But the, the basic idea is that if you just need a front-end API for your data, you just uh, have very little to do. I mean, uh, you just have to set up the configuration file and you are good to go in a few minutes. But yeah, it looks super easy to get started. It looks great. And I think it's inspired by requests in that sense as well. So are, pe are people using um, more sort of JavaScript front ends and using that to get to their data or are they using this for more like back end services, right? So do you know like what the main consumption model is? Yeah, uh, well, it is being used as, uh, for all kind of use cases, actually. We have a lot of uh, websites consuming instances, but we also have a lot of uh, mobile clients, for example. I myself am using Eve from a, a iOS and Android applications, for example, which are being coded in C-sharp, actually. Uh, we are using Xamarin framework for uh, uh, writing our own uh, mobile applications. So you have all kinds of use cases, really, and, uh, uh, and also, of course, the desktop application. And uh, all kinds of languages are consuming uh, the, 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 the Eve instance, since you are just dealing with, uh, you know, uh, JSON, basically, which goes uh, back and forth between uh, the client and the server. So you can deploy it whenever you want, actually. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you said MongoDB is the default backend. Why did you, why did you choose Mongo? Well, uh, MongoDB has a, a few uh, interesting uh, features for me. The first is that in the REST world, you basically are sending JSON uh, back and forth between clients and servers. And MongoDB also stores uh, JSON, or actually JSON, which is a variation of uh, JSON, but basically it's the same stuff. <laughs> and then you have Python dictionaries, which are uh, the perfect match for JSON as well. So uh, when I was researching for building my own API, it came kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the natural choice. Uh, I don't have to serialize and deserialize objects back and forth between the client and the uh, REST server and the database. So everything is smooth and uh, easy and don't, there isn't a lot of code in the middle uh, doing uh, conversions and serialization and stuff like that. You don't have anything, anything like that when you're working with MongoDB. And also, REST APIs are stateless by default, and so you don't usually have to, you know, you're usually sending small data packets for each request, and that's something that 
makes uh, MongoDB lack of transactions really a non-issue because you are already dealing with the concept of being stateless between requests and the client in some way has to deal with the fact that uh, a single request can go uh, wrong or can go fine and uh, and so um, what always is uh, any uh, a concern for people going uh, to use MongoDB is not really an issue in this uh, particular use case. It's an interesting point that that you know MongoDB has all of these really positive features: scalability, simplicity, lightweight, free, all these things. But one of its sometimes criticisms is its lack of cross-document transactions. But if you're doing REST over HTTP, that's a stateless protocol anyway. So you kind of, it's like you said, not a non-issue. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And and, the, and then there is MongoDB being schemaless, which is really nice for me because when you are building a, a prototyping your API, you are going to change your schema or if in API terms your endpoint configuration, your payload, quite a lot you are adding fields and between API versions you are going to add new fields, remove old fields, stuff like that. You are doing that constantly, at least at the beginning. And, and here MongoDB is very nice to use because it allows you to change your schema on the fly without uh, having to um, update the database uh, and uh, so without any impact on performance as well. So it kind of made sense for what we were doing back then, um, working with MongoDB on the backend and uh, uh, Python on the, on the server side. And yeah, that's what a lot of people agree with, <laughs> I believe, because uh, he has been uh, adopted by a lot of people. And also, there is a, as I was saying earlier, there is a, a SQL extension actually, which connects uh, Eve to uh, SQL Alchemy. And so you can, in fact, use uh, your um, uh, standard SQL database with Eve as well. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting. You just have to do a little bit more uh, work. So, you know, who, when you built the, when you built the framework, who was the intended user that you were thinking of? Like, what's the most common use case? Well, uh, I would say that the uh, unexperienced user can benefit a great deal from HIV because uh, a nice thing about HIV is that uh, you can, uh, you basically get a lot of design choices and uh, and uh, implementation already done for you. So you can quickly prototype an API if you need to put your uh, mobile or uh, or um, front-end developers uh, at work, you can probably give them an API, a, a functioning API in a few minutes or maybe in a few hours. And that's surely very interesting for a lot of people. I'm having, I see there are PHP guys, for example, are learning Python because they want to use Eve, which is <laughs> kind of a surprise to me. But that's pretty amazing. So you must be kind of uh, kind of proud that you know you're bringing people into the Python world literally, so that you know because they want to use Eve. That's yeah, awesome. yeah, that's that's awesome. When I get emails from people who are le- learning Python because they want to use Eve, that's totally awesome. It means that you know, kind of makes. Tells you that your goal has been achieved somehow. 
and and then uh, you're also bringing new people to the Python world, which is also awesome. <laughs> so I'm really glad for it. Being based on Flask uh, itself, uh, in fact, uh, we also have a lot of experience with uh, Python guys working with Eve and building extensions because, you know, Eve is just uh, a flex subclass. And so whatever works with, Eve, with Flask, you can use with Eve. And so you can also um, get access to the Flask documentation and whatever works there works with Eve as well. So you can go on Stack Overflow or browse the Flask documentation, which is also excellent. And you can uh, move in the layers, in between the layers, you know, Eve at the top and Flask is right behind Eve and then eventually MongoDB or your SQL uh, database. And so while it is very easy to, be, to, to, to start with, uh, probably if you are already using Flask, you can uh, enjoy even so much more because you can do whatever you want with it. You can, for example, you can build a, a Flask extension and use it with Eve, which is in fact what most people are doing. We have uh, a few uh, community extensions which are basically Flask extensions themselves. So it. It, it is good for the beginner, but it is also good for the experienced developer, I believe. Yeah, that's really cool. So all the great stuff that's out there for Flask, you can just use it. And maybe even if you already have a Flask website for HTML, you know, for like browsers to consume, you could add services to it pretty easily by adding Eve into your, your web app, yeah? Exactly, exactly. That's exactly what people are doing. And for example, there is a guy who uh, wrote a um, Eve docs, extension, which basically what it's doing is uh, uh, building uh, the API documentation as uh, and serving them as, as uh, static HTML pages. And uh, what it does is uh, reading uh, the API configuration files and building uh, a browsable document, uh, documentation for the user. So you, if, you ask, if you go to the, I don't know, example.com slash docs, you get uh, uh, the API documentation for free because it is being done as a flex extension by this um, docs extension itself. So you can mix and match uh, HTML pages with uh, uh, REST APIs. That's cool. So what this guy's project does is basically it's like a self-documenting API or self-documentation for the API just depending on how you configure Eve, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get a lot of questions about this, uh, uh, actually, even on Stack Overflow. So how can I serve static pages uh, along with uh, my API uh, endpoints? And that's actually very easy to do. You just have to add uh, a route to the to Flask as you would do with the Flask itself. So it's very, very easy to pull off. Very nice. So it sounds like, you know, this is a very popular project. And I looked on GitHub. And it's got, you know, like 2,000 stars and 300 or so forks. That's a lot of people contributing. And this is not your full-time job, right? This is like a second project. So, so how, do you, how much work is it and challenge is it to balance making your awesome open source project successful and actually keeping the day job running? Yes, it's actually becoming quite a challenge because, you know, Eva is, uh, is becoming a huge work. There, there, are, there are a lot of uh, use cases and people want to do like all kinds of stuff with Eva, which is super cool. We, the community is awesome. We have about 70 contributors to the project at this moment in time. 
and they contributed with a lot of very cool features. On the other hand, you end up doing a lot of work for free. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, I mean, for what we need uh, for, uh, we, we'd be happy with, with uh, what it was maybe one year ago. And, and now what all the, all the addition to the project are basically coming from the community and, uh, or they are, either or adding uh, new features themselves or asking for new features. And when something new and interesting is um, proposed, I usually end up uh, coding it for the community and for myself, of course, as well. But that that takes a lot of time. So, yeah, it's a kind of a challenge because uh, you have to balance your uh, work life uh, with uh, your uh, family and uh, hobbies uh, and uh, open source activity. It's not that easy, but you also get get a lot of um, of uh, you know gratification for doing this. I I get uh, emails from all from all around the world uh, from people using events so many strange, odd, uh, and uh, amazing use cases. And so, yeah, it's hard to do to pull it up, but it is uh, it is also very well worth it for me. Yeah, I'm sure it's very rewarding. That's great. Are there other contributors to it? People who actually are, are putting a lot of effort into it? Um, are you looking for new contributors or what's the, the status there? Yes, we have, uh, um, as I was saying, we have about 70 contributors of these. Maybe 10 of them are very active and uh, have been uh, contributing uh, to the project uh, quite a lot lately. Uh, some are uh, very skilled with both Flask and the EVE itself, so I still have to do a lot of work uh, or most of the work. But yes, I would really appreciate if more people would uh, uh, join the community and help with uh, even with simple things like uh, you know updating the documentation, or fixing titles. Uh, as you can say, I'm not an English speaker, so it, it, it is very easy to find and correct mistakes in the, in the documentation, for example, or in docs, in the source code, stuff like that. And But also we have people who are adding amazing features, like we had, I think in 0.5, we had versioning feature added to EVE, so you can store uh, a, multiple versions of your documents and uh, in your API, and then you can get back the version that uh, you need uh, with simple request, and that's a, a, a very cool feature which was entirely contributed by the community from one guy actually, and um, and that's very cool. And so we had a lot of other uh, additions like that from the community. And so yes, there is a lot of room for improvement, and uh, I really would love to see more people uh, jump in and help uh, us with. Uh, going farther that's great yeah i i think people have a hard time realizing how much work it is to f actually get something like eve out the door and ready for the community i mean there's obviously the writing of the application or the 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 library and then maybe a sample but there's the github repository the website the documentation all the little the little stuff the little polish that you have to put on there it seems like you know when you feel like you're done, you're halfway there and you still have a ton of little things that are somewhat uninteresting but have to be there, like documentation. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How's the experience being both a C-sharp and Python and JavaScript developer? How, how do you 
see the world being this polygot, living in this polygot programming world? Uh, it's been a wild ride, actually, because, you know, uh, the languages are so different in so many ways. Uh, Python is a dynamic language, whereas uh, C Sharp is a strongly titled language, and now I'm playing with Go and F Sharp on uh, um, approaches to solving the same problem, for basically. And that's really interesting for me because you uh, you don't always have one tool, one language, which is perfect for all kind of uh, uh, problems. So it's great to actually being able to uh, pick the right tool for the right job. And uh, basically what I have now is Python on the web uh, side of things. So all my servers and websites uh, are Python while... Uh, or my mobile applications and desktop application are C Sharp, for example. And I mean, it helps a lot because you get a, a very different um, skill set and you can just, uh, you often find the same problem. You can solve it, uh, the, the different languages actually have been solving it in a different manner, in different, with different methods, sorry. And that, really awesome. It helps you uh, understand uh, and experiment with different things. Even if you, I go back to C-sharp, I often find that I'm using uh, techniques which I learned while I was uh, studying Python, for example. And uh, the contrary is also true. For example, when I was uh, looking at classes in Python, it was it was very easy to pick them up because I, I of course I've been coding classes in C sharp for like uh, I don't know fifteen uh, twenty years sorry and <laughs> so it was very very easy and uh, this is a very trivial example but you get what I mean yeah absolutely and I you know I've I've lived that life as well I think one interesting aspect that's different is. You've, the languages are actually not super different, right? Like Python is obviously dynamic and C Sharp is, is static. But in a lot of ways, like you said, with the classes and so on, they're similar. Where they start to get different is around the tooling and around the packages and the frameworks that you can use. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. What, what tools do you use for um, working with, with Python? Do you have like an editor that you're fond of or anything like that? Yes. Oh, uh, that's a good question, actually. <laughs> you know, I'm using Vim for uh, coding in Python, and that's also something I never used until uh, as long as I was working with C Sharp. So uh, back in, uh, I think, maybe 2010 or something like that, uh, I started working with Python, and I also picked Vim, and I was a Visual Studio guy, and I've been a Visual Studio guy for a lot of time. So... Going coming to Python, it also meant learning uh, a lot of new tools. I started using Vim, for example, or uh, of course I'm using Pip for uh, installing uh, packages and uh, learning how Python uh, packaging works, uh, which is totally different from C Sharp. That's uh, another uh, very interesting uh, um, aspect of using different languages. And now what you have is that C Sharp and .NET are, you know, in this new Microsoft era, we are uh, getting to the point where even Microsoft is learning from the uh, open source experience. And so we have, uh, for me, it is really exciting looking at how Microsoft is approaching and evolving these uh, last maybe couple of years, uh, releasing .NET Framework as open source, for example, is 
totally awesome and uh, going cross-platform as well. And this is all stuff that I've been um, uh, seeing uh, working on Python, and I was always wondering how I really would love to see this kind of approach uh, in the Microsoft world and on Windows and in C Sharp, and now it's happening, and it's really exciting, and it also means that Microsoft is learning from its, uh, you know, let's call them mistakes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool, and I'm super excited because I see the open source uh, potential coming to the C Sharp world. On the other hand, uh, I must say that the open source community in uh, C Sharp and uh, in the .NET framework in general is still very, very, very in its early stages, so to speak. So when I release uh, an open source tool in C Sharp, I get a fraction of the attention that I, the same tool will get in Python, for example. So there is still a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, I I totally agree. It's definitely a good a good uh, sign that some of these closed source companies, especially Microsoft, since they're so widely used, is, is moving. I think they're learning a lot from the open source and from Python. So it sounds like there's a lot of interesting pieces that you're bringing into Eve, like Cerebus and Flask Sentinel and things like that. Those are separate projects, separate packages that you're you're just using in Eve, right? Yeah, I'm using a lot of uh, packages. A bit. I, I am also using Redis, for example, for some features. We have a rate limiting, which is a feature uh, which is uh, being bundled within Eve, and it uses Redis actually. Uh, by the way, Redis is also by an Italian developer, Salvatore Santripo, which is a friend of mine, uh, and Tires. Uh, and, and yes, uh, I'm using Cerberus, which is another open source release of mine. It's used for data validation, basically. And Cerberus, it, it Actually, it is being used even outside of Eve from, from by a lot of people, uh, since it allows basically to do uh, validation for Python dictionaries. So we use it within Eve for uh, data validation, validation, but you can also pip install it and use it for your own tool. This is another very interesting approach. So that's really interesting. I haven't used Service, but basically what you can do is you can say what required fields and what required shape a Python dictionary should have, and then you can say validate this particular dictionary. What what kind of stuff can you validate there? Yes, yeah, so you can basically say, hey, this is, a, a, you know, the name field is a string. It must be, must have a maximum length of 10, and or you, you must use this regular expression to validate it. And... Um, this is uh, there are a lot of options actually you can say that a field must be unique or uh, stuff like that and this is true for the eve payload of course but also for any python dictionary so people are using it uh, everywhere and this is uh, very nice and uh, another tool that i ended up building for uh, eve is that, but it is also being used outside of eve is uh, events which is basically a package which allows you to uh, bind the callback functions uh, uh, to any kind of event. And uh, so when Eve uh, receives uh, an incoming request, uh, uh, you, you can have a number of callback functions uh, and which are being called by Eve. And so you can do your own stuff with this payload which is coming in. 
and uh, change it or uh, store it uh, elsewhere or call another API and validate it against it, stuff like that. And this is all powered by events, which is another um, package, Python package that you can use for your own tools, for building your own tools. Oh, that's fantastic. That sounds great. So another one that I saw in there was Flask Sentinel. What is that? Yeah. Flask Sentinel is uh, basically an implementation of uh, OAuth for uh, Flask. In particular, it is addressing the uh, token authentication scheme. So you can, uh, um, of course, you can use it uh, uh, without Heave as well, uh, or you can use it with Heave to have uh, OAuth to um, on your API. Uh, so, uh, so yes, you can basically look up it, look it up on GitHub. It, it is being used for a lot of. That's cool. So, if I want to have like Twitter authentication or Google or Facebook or something like that, is that kind of what the you're thinking? Uh, almost. I mean, it, it right now it only addresses uh, token authentication, basic token authentication. So, it's not really suited for that for that use case for. Uh, uh, in, it is not yet a, a full uh, or or to authentication scheme, but it it, it is uh, its best use case. I think is when you use it for your own uh, mobile application and you want your user to be authenticated with your REST um, API framework, and you give him a token, and then your mobile application uses this token instead of using a username and password and sending them over the wire, of course. And so yes, if you know, kind of, it's just one of the many uses of OAuth two. Sorry about that. OAuth two for me is very easy, very difficult to pronounce that word. And yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, so I can see how you use that. That's very interesting. Now I noticed you're also working on a project called Eve.net. Is that like a .NET spinoff of this whole idea? It's basically a um, REST client uh, for .NET. So what uh, you use it for is, for example, if you are writing a, a mobile application for iOS or Android and want to uh, connect to any instance, you can uh, use uh, use .NET. It uh, uh, deals with since it knows very well how Eve performs. You can send, for example, a class, an object instance. Uh, to Eve and it deals with serializing the object and sending it to Eve and it handles the Eve responses. And for example, if you want to modify an object, you uh, the, the user just uh, says to Eve.net, hey, store this um, update up to the server and the client uh, connects to Eve, uh, sends the update and if something goes wrong, it, it reports back uh, to, the, to, the, to the client in, uh, and since it knows very well how he performs, it can, uh, you know, it hides a lot of the implementation uh, behind the scenes, so you don't have to worry about uh, e-tags uh, and uh, uh, conflicts and uh, errors, uh, uh, validation and stuff like that. And this is interesting because it is a, a exactly the polyglot approach which we were speaking about uh, earlier, a little bit earlier. Uh, you have C sharp and and uh, C sharp. Uh, client working with a Python server 
and uh, so it's kind of you know kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, because you know both sides of that story, you can make it really easy for the C sharp guys. I wonder if there's other languages yeah. out there like Swift or Java or something that might also benefit from that. Yes, yes, you can use it. You can use it everywhere. You use .NET, so it's very nice. And actually, one of my uh, one of the things that I'm doing with the, the .NET framework, at least here in Italy, is uh, encourage people to go out on the comfort zone. Uh, for example, inst- installing Eve instead of I don't know Embassy framework or stuff like that on the server side, and uh, uh, because they also get advantages of Eve, and then they can use uh, the C sharp client on the on the on the on the client on the mobile phone, for example, or, or on the desktop applications. Of course, it, Eve is totally uh, language agnostic, so, uh, agnostic, so you can use it with whatever language you want. Yeah, that's beautiful. It uses the universal language of JSON. Excellent. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So, are there um, like any notable uses or really popular deployments of Eve that that you could talk about? Uh, yeah, there is, uh, there are uh, two or three which I, I think uh, can be interesting for your audience. For example, we have, uh, uh, Dailymotion, which is, um, uh, I don't know if you know about it, but they are, I believe, the second uh, streaming website in the world, uh, right below, uh, right after YouTube. It's a French company which is, uh, streaming live content uh, on the web. And they're using Eve for uh, some uh, of their uh, projects. Actually, they are also contributing to Eve itself. So they are one of the uh, main contributors to the project themselves, which is totally cool for me. And um, and then there is uh, Red Turtle, which is a, a company. They are the guys behind the SQL extension, for example, speaking of the community. As you can see, we have people who are using the, the tool itself and then contributing with uh, new features and this is one um, special case because our turtle basically took uh, uh, the SQL extension which was already being developed by other guys uh, and, and you know kind of uh, completed it uh, and they are now uh, 100% I believe I suspect I think as uh, they are 100% uh, feature complete and so uh, yeah, Retarto. And then we have uh, this um, very famous uh, space agency, but I didn't get any feedback from them. I wanted to mention them, but I'm not sure I can. Let's just say that it is a, a very famous uh, space company uh, led by a very, very well-known entrepreneur who also works on uh, a car industry and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> That's really fantastic. So Eve might be going to space and back. That is really cool. Yeah, that's my dream, actually. It would be totally cool. I think they are still uh, experimenting with it. They are as well, they are contributors as well. Uh, one of their engineers is uh, the guy who worked on the version in Fedora, for example. Yeah, they are, they are using it um, internally. Uh, I'm not sure if they are using it to send stuff in the space. I'm not sure I want them to use it for sending stuff in the space. <laughs> it's a whole other level of responsibility. Yes, it yeah, is. You know. Yes, it is. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's being if it's being used by all kind of people, and that's what I find really uh, interesting for me. Where it's really exciting. So many people with so many different use cases uh, who rely on your tool is 
you know, so I don't know, totally awesome. Yeah, that that's really great. I'm sure it's super rewarding and, you know, thanks from everybody in the community for putting that together. That's cool. So I think that's probably yeah. a, a good place to wrap up the show. So is there anything uh, you want to mention or sh- give a shout out to, you know, give a little promotion to before uh, before we call it a day? Not really. What I really would like to see is uh, people uh, uh, join the community and, uh, as I said already, uh, try the, the tool. And uh, if they have, uh, you know, um, questions or contributions, uh, contributions to add, uh, be very happy to to learn about them and see more people adopt the, the tool and uh, the other the satellite tool like Flux Sentinel or Cerberus and uh, and you know just uh, keep sending uh, feedback uh, and uh, so we can keep growing with the tool and uh, the community itself. Yeah, that's really great. Okay, so you can find Eve on the web at python-eve.org. Nicola, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. Uh, thank you. It's been great. And thank you for inviting me. It's been uh, awesome. You're welcome. Hopefully we get to catch up on an aircraft carrier in New York City sometime soon. Okay. <laughs> great. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Indeed. Okay. See bye, you later. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Stating with my voice, there's no norm that I can feel within. Haven't been sleeping. I've been using lots of rest. I'll pass the mic back to who rocked it best.